Hey, this is PhD Divas, and this is Liz Wayne. And this is Zain Yao. And today we're going to be talking about our favorite person, Eddie Huang, and our favorite TV show, Fresh Off the Boat. So we're going to start off by just saying, actually, I have a question, and maybe, Zion, this is better for you since you're the Asian person here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a show for you, representing your childhood. What do you think about this show? Well, it doesn't, first of all. I mean, I'm not American. I'm Canadian. I'm not from Taiwan. We're from China. Uh, my family's from Hong Kong, really? more specifically. I thought all Asian people were I know. From the it's same really place. disappointing, isn't it? Like, I mean, it just sort of speaks also to this whole sort of geopolitical, trans, uh, geopolitical power relations going on between like Taiwan and the US versus like mainland China and Hong Kong and like like the British Commonwealth. But mm-hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't represent me, but there just definitely is this type of pressure to watch it and enjoy it and often watch, uh, but also at a distance. I think that definitely the reaction I've been hearing from a lot of people is a conflicted one for Fresh Off the Boat. So you like it, but then you don't want to like it? I. It's even tough to say that you like it because I do find so many things wrong with the show. But I think that there's still this sort of hope about the doors that it is opening for Asian American representation. Hmm. Yeah, like you don't want to mess up your chance, basically. Like you finally got a show that has like predominantly Asian characters in it. First time since Margaret Cho 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So you have to like it. And I think that a, a big topic for us today will be that it seems like getting this Asian American narrative is very much sort of at the expense of black culture because for little Eddie Huang, both in the memoir and in the show, he sort of finds himself by turning to hip hop. And to what ter- what extent does he really adapt it or appropriate it, I think is something that we should talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, but before we do that, I wanted to start off with this excerpt from something that Eddie Huang said in an interview with Bill Mayer. Oh, the Hollywood feels, no, it better to use the stereotypes. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they want to tell universal white stories with yellow faces, black faces, brown faces, but they tell the same universal story. And you go watch how you these know, sitcoms are made in I, writer's rooms. They're like labs, dude. It's like GMO food right, they're making. Right. <laughs> You're right. But I got to... Oh, I think that that was a really interesting statement made by, made by him that... All the stories are universal white stories with different um, colored faces uh, on on top of it, basically masquerading a uh, white story. And I think that, I mean, there is something to be said about it, that this is a, an ABC sitcom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's geared towards the widest audience. Like, unfortunately, like demographic... And they love family. Every show they, they, they do love has family. family or group dynamics mm-hmm. centered and, around this. And that, like, ultimately the audience, like... Even though it is an Asian, like a show that features Asian Americans, um, they can't rely, I think from a marketing standpoint, they can't rely on us as a marketing demographic for, for views mm-hmm. alone. So it still has to appeal to a lot of other audiences that while on the one hand means that um, perhaps it could have broader he- appeal, to what extent does universality end up erasing a lot of that? To what extent are they writing it to court, um, maybe like a white audience? I, I actually agree. Um, when I think about the show, I like the show. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because I've been trained to like this show, this sort of, you, you could have put anyone in that same scenario. I've seen these shows before. I mean, you can even argue blackish is really the same thing. Mm-hmm. Suburban family just made it to the suburbia life. How do I, I'm already assimilated, but how do I assimilate a little bit more? It's kind of what it sounds like. But under the midst of just looking at this family and seeing how they have fun and do things that normal families do, normal AKA white. And so... That was what I liked about the show. And what I what I found really hard was that I could see some of my friends who were Asian and fresh off the boat, but there were also ways in which 
probably more ways that I couldn't see it, but because mm-hmm. I'm trained to, you know, this is funny. I like this. Um, yeah, it was very conflicting for me. Was it similar to, for you? I think so, yeah. Like, um, definitely quite a, among quite a few of my friends, they feel very strongly negatively towards it because of, for example, the use of accents, the way that the grandmother mm. only speaks in Chinese and mm-hmm. she's u- being used as a prop. Um, I think that it's, a, it's an extremely complicated issue and that's why I'm really hesitant to say that I like it because as we said in one of our previous uh, podcast episodes on women and icons, there's a way sometimes when you say that you like something, it's sort of presumed that you like wholeheartedly endorse yeah. it and I really don't want to be in the position of endorsing, wholeheartedly endorsing something that I have such conflicted feelings toward. Do you think that as an Asian person, when you say you're afraid of saying you like something because if you say you like something, that gives you the re- the right to say all Asian people like this? Yes. And so I think that there was one a funny thing from uh, Eddie Welcome Huang's... Welcome to inter- the club, by the way. Oh, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm speaking on behalf of all Asians yeah. everywhere in the English speaking and all Asian countries. So I represent like over a billion people, really. And sometimes really. Canada. Yeah. Hey, hey. <laughs> Don't forget about Canada. But I think that there was one funny thing that came out of the interview with Bill Mayer uh, for Eddie Huang is that he is trying to like play off of this. Uh, he's trying to like put some pressure on the idea that he has to speak for all, all Asians, but perhaps not not enough. So that's again like I don't want to be be the voice of all Asians everywhere in terms mm-hmm. of fresh off the boat. And I think that what is important about fresh off the boat, like could it represent all Asians? No. Like, I think that's always mm-hmm. a limit. But is, is it opening conversations, difficult conversations, maybe not in the best pop- possible way? Definitely, I think. You know, actually, no, now that we're talking about that, how have you found, is there a difference between, um, let me restart that. When people ask you about Fresh Off the Boat, what, are they, what kind of questions are they asking you? Like questions you're asking me right now. Okay, <laughs> fair enough, that's fair like, enough. Uh, but... I'm, I'm thinking about mm-hmm. how how um, sometimes, and I think we've mentioned, I've, we've talked about this before, I'm a bit more undiscerning just because it's not my culture. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at Fresh Off the Boat, some things like, oh, that's cool. That, that one thing you're talking about is one thing I know that one of, one of my friends does, right? But you, I'm assuming you might be more discerning and you have more experience. And I'm wondering, do people ever ask you really stupid questions about Fresh Off the Boat? Like, is this true? Do all Asian people do this? And maybe this is also for people who may not themselves be Asian, but mm-hmm. may come to you with a question. Do you find that actually encourages discussion about that's, different cultures or it's more like, ha, 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 that's funny? So admittedly on our campus here, I feel like most of the conversations I've had have been with other Asians and I uh, broadly construing including South Asians as well, because I've seen, um, uh, I know quite mm-hmm. a few South Asian people that have responded to this quite a bit. And so I wouldn't say that actually I've gotten questions from people who are, who are not Asian who are, ask, who are talking to me about this, but I've been seeing a lot of people say on like Facebook saying like, I really relate to this part. Um, I could see people like opening up a conversation about um, certain aspects of, of the show mm-hmm. or, or criticizing it. Okay. Sorry, I know that, unfortunately, I'm just not in the position, I guess, because we just don't have TVs. I'm sure if I was around people that had a lot more TVs, I'd wow. be fielding that type of conversation. But at the, at the moment, um, you need more people with, with TVs, TVs in your life. I'd also like to say, like, a little bit about the, I, I'm sort of bemused by where the season finishes. I don't, I know you didn't. Was mention, that the finale? Yeah, the finale. Oh, okay. With the, the final episode, So Chinese, where they're trying to navigate, um, 
authenticity in quotation marks versus assimilation into white culture. And in the end, like after like making this hard turn towards trying to be traditional, they end up finding this type of middle ground. But where they find that middle ground still sort of troubles me quite a bit. For example, because they end up becoming part of a, a country club where they're the mm -hmm. first people of color there, the first Asian Asian people. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I'm pretty sure that when we're seeing scenes of that, there are no, no brown or black faces in that country club. And so it's like, we're ending this mm. season with, we're, yes, we're in a good place where people are able to negotiate this sort of hybrid identity, but you know, they literally are part of a country club mm -hmm. now. Yeah, and then there's also a buy-in to, we can only have one minority at a time, mm -hmm. one, one group at a time, one family at a time. Um, and is that truly, really? This is, yeah, I, I, I don't like this idea that there can only be one at a time. And in TV shows, if you're really gonna say like, hey, we're being more inclusive, but you still only allow one minority group to be like the center of attention at a time, I don't no, know. No, I, I think I, I know what you mean. For example, like, even though we're shifting the focus onto an Asian American family, do other people get tokenized um, in relation? And I think that we definitely see that. We see, I've, I've seen quite a few criticisms about the, the episode where we meet um, Constant Wu's character's um, ex-college boyfriend who is actually mm -hmm. gay, and like a lot of critiques about <laughs> him being like a Gaijin stereotype. Again, um, little Eddie's character only has one black mm. friend, Walter. And even though sometimes the, the show lampshades the fact that there's this irony often that like little Eddie seems to like black culture more than he likes bl black people to paraphrase Azalea's mm -hmm. bank, criticism of Iggy Azalea. Mm -hmm. Like the show doesn't push it beyond a certain point, if that makes any sense. Also the final episode ends with all of them pretending to be Jamaican. Did you see that part? Oh no, I didn't, but I know Eddie wanted to be Jamaican. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> oh. Maybe that's why you didn't finish the episode. No. <laughs> mm, okay. I know, again, this is why it's so troubling to say that you like it, because it hurts. Yeah, well, to be fair, Eddie Huang himself doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. um, and he's been very vocal about that, which I find surprising. Mm -hmm. Just because, you know, if, if I put something out, if I didn't like it, I think I'd still say I liked it. I don't know. I, I mean, I, yeah. Well, on the one hand, I think that it's been really interesting that he's been so vocal about it with like the Vulture article that came out before the, the show came out and where he like went from negative to being more positive. But I think that, I mean, at least a good thing that comes out of that is that obviously he has pace for, um, space for dissent from the show. Mm -hmm. Like that at least is a profitable thing. Like he doesn't feel like he's being forced to toe a party line in regards to the show. So I'm glad that there's space for it. And I think that Sometimes when we talk about Fresh Off the Boat, we confuse criticism of the show versus criticisms of the comparison between Eddie Huang's life versus mm -hmm. the show. And sometimes I think those tend to get blurred a little bit. Sometimes they're the same thing, sometimes they aren't. So his critique of him not liking the show because it doesn't represent his childhood, it's nothing like the memoir that he wrote, yeah, like he's his, lost control over it. Yeah, that's what I feel like that's where we've been seeing him talk about that in interviews and on Twitter and articles, that he's criticizing the show oft, often in relation to his own life, but maybe not on the level when we're, we're talking about like particular episodes or like, for example, ending up the country club and other things like that, mm -hmm. where we're, when we're looking at the show as a formal thing on its own, or like the way it tokenizes black characters. I haven't seen him do any uh, critique of um, any of the characters in it has always mm -hmm. been in relation to himself. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. which I think is sort of disappointing, right? Because he also has an opportunity as this dissenting voice to open up a conversation about like the tokenization of Walter, the one um, a black student at Eddie's mm -hmm. school, or like the very interesting 
kid who's both Chinese and Jew, um, Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but he's not taking those opportunities to voice these broader critiques. Instead, it's purely in relation to himself. Yeah, he's more upset that, the again, the show doesn't reflect his memoir rather than the characters that are in the show are, are very problematic in terms of, hey, that you kind of hate black people in that scene a little bit. That mm -hmm. there's, this, there's this other thing going on that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just opened my eyes, Zion. Thank you. <laughs> well, um, I mean, this is why we have this kind of conversation. <laughs> oh we both try God. to open each other's eyes. Um, There's a love, love each other moment. Um, so I have to admit, you know, when I watched Fresh Off the Boat, it wasn't my first impression that he was being anti-black. So uh -huh. there was like this anti-black um, sentiment going on. So can you talk about that a little bit? So I was one of the people who had read the memoir long before the show came okay, out. I've never about, read it. Yeah, about a year ago. And I mean, it was really interesting because he ends up professing that that he came to to consciousness through women's studies, to look, particularly doing like ethnic studies, women, uh, particularly black feminist studies and so forth. But sometimes those actual people, like those individuals didn't actually show up in his memoir, I feel like he didn't actually mm -hmm. have those um, voices come through. And also the way that he writes, and it probably comes across in the interviews, there's a way that he, he talks very much in what's called like African-American vernacular English yeah. quite a bit. Uh -huh. And so to me, it was very it was very strange and interesting that often I feel like a lot of Asian-American memoirs end up trying to appropriate a white voice to get some sort of respectable, uh, respectable recognition. Instead, he ends up basically appropriating the mm -hmm. tropes of blackness, um, which is interesting, but also trying to create a different type of authenticity that in order to create a different type of voice for Asian-Americans, or at least for himself, he ends up um, drawing on a black uh, vernacular. And so that was something I was very cognizant going into the show is like, how exactly are they going to depict the relationship between little Eddie and hip hop? Um, and I think that the show has has shown that sometimes it's very cognizant of what it's doing. Like, I think it's in the first or second episode where the one um, black kid, Walter, um, who has been is sort of friendless at this point as little as is little Eddie. Mm -hmm. But Eddie gets acceptance into the group of white kids because um, they, of their mutual love of, I think, Biggie, is it? Yeah, it was some CD involved, and they were trying to get yeah, the CD. Yeah, and I think I, I think it was a biggie. And then uh, the black kid Walter comments like, "Oh, how how ironic it is that the Asian kid and the white kid are bonding over black music, and yet he is the one who is being rejected socially." And so mm -hmm. there's this interesting moment where like the show seems to sometimes be aware of itself, but mm -hmm. often like the way that he ends up like these other characters end up being used from episode to episode, like mm -hmm. it sort of gets lost. Like these moments of criticism sort of rise up. But then it's not sustained. Yeah, and I, I, if I recall correctly, when Walter and Eddie do find they have something in common, it's not about rap music at all. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's not about a biggie. I think it was some other. They wore the T-shirt and it had the same person on it, but I don't think it was a, a black artist. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's was it the Beastie Boys episode. I think it was. Yeah, I think it might have been the. <laughs> oh yeah, and then I so think it was still so rap. I think they was... also bonded it about like, oh, an Asian kid and a black kid bonding over white Jewish rappers. I think may have been the punchline <laughs> for that episode. I think so. I. I don't know. I, I this is really hard for me because. Um, well, I thought one thing that was interesting with you saying that you like the show. I think I saw a tweet from. I think it was the writer Jeff Yang, and his son plays the character of Eddie, so he, he admits that he's biased when he writes um, anything about the show. But he was looking at some sort of demographic breakdowns for the show, and I think, like, more statistically, more African Americans are watching the show than Asian Americans. Hmm. 
which was a really interesting claim, and I tried to trace it back, but I you can't find yeah, it. Yeah, unfortunately. But I think that that's pretty pretty provocative. Um, I also wonder for this conversation about uh, the uh, anti-blackness of fresh off the boat, we might want to turn to another part of the interview that Eddie Huang had in Bill Meyer. So here, turning from anti-blackness in the show to um, Eddie Huang's own commentary. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, and hip hop. You know, yeah. this was something you related to because you all, you felt like, oh, I'm an outsider, and they're speaking as outsiders, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Asian men have been emasculated so much in America that we're basically treated like black women. So I related a lot to Tupac, Tupacalypse, Me Against the World, and like when I sit on OK Cupid, I'm just like, no one wants to talk to me either. Oh. Oh. <sighs> oh, there's just so much there. Yeah, I. Okay, so when when I first listened to this, I, I definitely thought the first line, "Whoa, how are you like black women? What does this mean?" And then he keeps talking, and he keeps he says, "Oh, I listen to a lot of Tupac, and I listen to a lot of rappers." And then my second thought was like, "Oh, so you want to also um, demoralize women mm-hmm. in rap videos and have like all sorts of you know really anti-woman language in your um, music?" And then he brings up the OK Cupid. I'm like, oh, okay. So are you trying to say that OK Cupid, you know, because there's all these stat- statistics about how black women and Asian men are the least sought after, mm-hmm. or we get the less responses back yeah. from OK Cupid or something? Um, I thought he was trying to be funny, and he wasn't very funny at all. It was actually very awkward mm-hmm. to hear. And also, again, highlights some things that were that we talked about in the show and in his real life that he's using black vernacular, he's using this culture, I guess, to have his own identity or go away from that ideal minority identity to get like a more like on the outskirts. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like trying to borrow rebel. some sort of authentic, um, authenticating power of black culture, it seems to me. Yeah, and I don't, I, I don't know. I, okay, so here's, here's, here's what I think and why I think I'm a little torn because in my real life, I do know Asian people who sound like this. I mean, yeah. I also know white people who sound like this. So, so on one hand, I think there are, some people are being very genuine in, the, in their effort when they try to do mm-hmm. that. But there is this way in which you can, those people who are sort of borrowing this or taking on this identity can mm-hmm. always leave whenever they yes. want to. It's like a style. It's not about... Yeah, they power. can actually leave or when they choose to be something else. Well, let's say they, they choose to not speak in that way when they go for a job interview. They put on a suit, they change location, they cut their hair, they do these things, and they're no longer associated with that identity, whereas black people, you stay with that. It doesn't matter what you do. You are still going to be associated with those things. And it's because of that relationship that I think that he, if he's truly going to sell it and make it a part of his platform the way he does, you, know, you need to address this discrepancy. Mm-hmm. And I would like to also go back to more of the specifics in that that line he says that he, even though he says that Asian men are like black women, mm-hmm. he then turns to Tupac, which yeah. he sort of alluded to, like as opposed to like any notable black woman artists or anything like that, that it's interesting mm-hmm. that like, even though he's evoking black women for this kind of lazy comparison, he ends up erasing them. He's still trapped in 1996. <laughs> that's, that's really what this is. Because <laughs> there's a lot of great rappers. He had to go all Kim, the way back. Though? Little Kim, she was around. She was that time. Yeah, because I thought Little what? Kim, Foxy Brown, Missy Elliott. Um, yeah, I, I don't really remember any mentions of them. No. Or actually, yeah, in the show, do we have Queen any mentions Latifah? of Missy or, or Queen Light. Latifah? I don't know. Because I just definitely remember remember him mentioning like Wu Tang Clan and 
Yeah, uh, he, that's but, actually a really good point. He didn't mention that at all. Yeah, it seems like really lazy and also particularly disingenuous right now. I like with, the word lazy. Really yeah, <laughs> with Black Lives Matter that like there are quite a few black women who've been killed by police that mm. haven't been recognized to the same extent that like Tamir Rice um, and Eric Garner yeah. have. So just to list a couple, Rekia Boyd, Tanisha Anderson, Megan Hockaday. And and they're, mm. and the way that when black we say Black Lives Matter, like often black men's lives often rise up right. um, to greater attention than black women's lives. There's this really sad thing that there was this rally after um, the really crappy sentencing of Rekia Boyd's uh, mm -hmm. killer and like the rally was really small like I saw yeah. this like people did not rally for her it was really sad yeah I, I definitely remember the pictures I don't know if you're familiar with the saying but it goes like this when people are talking about blacks they're talking about men mm -hmm. and when they're talking about feminists they're talking about like white women or it's that something along that line yeah, I that, heard that, but that when you really consider both spectrums black women tend to get definitely tend to get left out and I think that's really you can see it in his comments um, when he's talking about black rappers and actually you look at the, the show a lot of the the cultural things that he says he really got something from in the hip-hop but masculinity really black talking masculinity. about masculinity um, and it's not talking about the role that women played in that or any of the women artists who are involved in that. I think one thing we have to bring up also is that in response to this interview, he's gotten a lot of flack on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. And uh, have very, having very troubling exchanges, particularly with Black Girl Dangerous. Yeah, I, <laughs> first of all, thought it was awesome that she had a white man as her, um, what do you call those pictures? Her avatar. Her avatar. I always forget that. Thought that was pretty cool. Um, really great social experiment. I was really shocked because um, you know what? When we were talking about Eddie Huang, maybe we're picking on him. Maybe we're being too harsh. But then I went to his actual Twitter page and I realized, nope, we're not being harsh at all. Like, it's all right here. Um, yeah, there is some yeah, serious fighting going on. on. Um, so notably, um, a, quite a number of people have been tweeting at him as a result of the Bill Mayer interview, critiquing the way that he sort of sloppily compares Asian men and black women. And his response to um, what people like Black Girl Danger instead of being listening to the criticism, how he's sort of just lashed out at them. Do you want to recount some of that? Yeah, I actually do. Um, in particular, the one from Black Girl Danger was really, really upsetting. She started her Twitter quest or asking him questions. I actually, I was following this. And so she says, does Eddie Huang have a Twitter handle? And then she uh -huh. finds it and then she goes, hey, what's up with this OkCupid thing? And then that's how it started. And then it goes into this, um, Thing where she's you know really upset he's being very offensive and then she then at some point um, she says stop this conversation is going nowhere and then he goes um, let me take you out though you like sushi and shit so for me it's like okay we all know that Eddie Huang has his way of talking in a black vernacular way mm -hmm. um, and he also can't spell, let me take you out, doe, with a D-O-E, like it's a deer. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I thought that was that was really rude. And also, it was below the punch because she's clearly clearly already said, leave me alone. And he's still going out and trying to offer her food and just being really condescending. Yeah. like, And also, it's just sort of inappropriate that he just ends up like hitting on her, basically, as a way right. to close. And, there's, and like, there's this sort of weird power dynamic then mm -hmm. of this man, man asking out this a woman who has asked him to leave him. He may as well be catcalling her. Yeah. yeah. 
at this point. It's just extremely unfortunate. And like the sad thing is that I think that there was such potential for him to engage with black feminists on Twitter and like, you know, help him change his mind, maybe like, you know, apologize, make, do it better for next time. But instead he was not receptive to it at all. Instead he just um, started making it this personal fight. Yeah, people are, people, black women on Twitter have been saying, hey, that's a little offensive, like this is kind of hurtful. And he's basically said, no, I'm not gonna try to pacify you, um, deal with it. And just going about this whole, um, being very misogynist actually, just yeah. talking over them. Yeah, or as like a, they can a buy black girl danger says, um, mis- misogynoir, which is like a combination of um, misogynist and anti-black. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, he also calls black feminists bums. Um, it's just really, really ridiculous. And then he gets into this conversation about what rich means, and he goes like, oh, I, Asian people created rich. Get and off my lawn. Get off my lawn. I don't really know where he's going with this. Literally, I don't know where he's going with this. I know, this. it's like this ugly classist aspect on top of like this sort of racist aspect. Yeah, he's living ghetto fabulous. Yeah. Asian fabulous, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of really great um, lines like, well, I'm thinking about great thinkers like Audre Lorde. She has this famous mm-hmm. essay, The Master's Tools Can Never Dismantle the Master's House, which seems to be really applicable in the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, to what extent does appropriating something that's problematic and already complicit in stru- structures of right. power, you can't, can you really reappropriate it is always the question, or does it just help perpetuate it? Can you really change the system? Yeah, and maybe just, you have to yeah. start your own system and then have people incorporate yeah, and maybe you want to talk about Issa Rae a little bit. So on the one hand, Eddie Huang ended up um, giving, I guess, the rights to his memoir to ABC and has been regretting it ever since. But on the flip side, we have someone like Issa Rae who has decided that, no, she doesn't want to do that type of compromise. Actually, that's really a great lean into that because, and actually into her current work called The Color Collective, which I think we'll post a link to in the description. But early on, she, she did want to go and do a sitcom, maybe get a TV network deal. And I know that um, she had this show called I Love LA Dudes. And for one reason or another, that fell through. But also, when you, when she thinks about how the show was going to be portrayed, the kind of characters they were going to get, like you're going to get a light-skinned woman and Issa Rae is dark-skinned. Mm-hmm. Um, so just thinking of how this is going to fall into this very formulaic pattern, which if you read or listen to the rest of um, Eddie Wong's memoir, to his credit, he does mention um, she took a different path. And I Mm -hmm. think that's really cool and really admirable. Um, It's really interesting to see. I'm actually glad that he is speaking out because you at least get to see, hey, I wasn't complicit with this. This isn't what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas Issa Rae, she's doing her own thing online and encouraging artists of color to represent themselves through their music and the art and the plays. What I also think is interesting, like to this interview, ends up actually, the interview with Eddie Huang ends up actually mirroring Fresh Off the Bone in some ways, which is that in this interview, he's often trying to play off stereotype, but doesn't do so very well. And I think that the show yeah. often tries to play with stereotype and the extent to which it succeeds tends to vary quite a bit. Yeah, it's like he's trying to play off the stereotypes, but when I watch the show, I think it's funny. Again, I've been trained to think it's funny the same mm-hmm. way I've been trained to walk through spaces that are not necessarily meant for me. In the show, I can tell that I think it's funny, but I don't think it, this humor is meant for me. This isn't trying to make me feel comfortable. You know, I would have watched this show if it had been an all-Asian cast. I mean, mm-hmm. it is an all-Asian cast. What I meant is if it were a show that had less aspects of white suburbia and more aspects of 
if I walked into one of my friends' households. Mm-hmm. I would still watch it, but um, yeah, this is just like this. Who is the show really meant for? Who are they trying to make comfortable by adding these elements? Who are we still afraid of displeasing? Yeah, of offending this? because we still need because to make of the those numbers. Show. Yeah. And then what is that really doing for the viewers, for the people watching? It's it's fake, fake diversity, just like always. <laughs> yeah. Spoken as someone who has had to be the face of diversity in many a pamphlet. Yeah, I just got an email about another one I was on. <laughs> That's so funny. So, um, maybe one way to just finish is just, so will we continue watching it? Will I continue? Yeah, yeah I will. Because I think much like the way you said um, that you, you, you want to watch it, there hasn't been a show like this in a very long time. I also feel the same way. I also recognize that consumerism in this capitalistic economy is how you support things. So if you like something or you want to see more, you need to support it. And mm-hmm. I would like to think that as time goes on, they can be more adventurous. Yeah. But if we stop now, they won't have the opportunity. What about yeah. you? I, Are you going to buy a TV for this? I'm not going to buy a TV for this, but I will continue watching it. Um, I, again, like that, I think that it still is interesting enough to make me keep watching it. And I hope that the writing will improve. And there's been many other sitcoms, you could, like Parks and Rec and The Office, mm-hmm. that like really develop a couple seasons in. But we are being yeah. rather hard on Fresh Off the Boat for being the only Asian American sitcom. And to be fair, I think Eddie Huang should talk less in real life, <laughs> actually. And with that, we will also stop talking less, and we will see you next time. Yep, this is Zain Yao. And this is Liz. And thanks to our producer, Dexter Thomas. Thank you, Dexter.